welcome to Take It Down a Notch with Rob and Patty. All right, so I have my stepmom, Patty, with us today. Uh, Lindsay is is back at uh, back at the homestead, and um, I came down to Long Beach and doing some projects and hanging out, catching up. Yeah, so I thought I'd take a chance to to talk with Patty and and. Uh, and add to our podcast. So cool. thank you very much for hey for signing in and happy to do it. Yeah. So I don't know where we where do you start? So you 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 were born in in Texas, right? Yes, Southeast Texas, Southeast Groves, Texas. Groves, Texas. Yeah. So that's kind of kind of towards the Gulf Coast, right? It's right on the Gulf Coast. Okay. It's um on the Gulf Coast and on the border with Louisiana. The right. Sabine River is the border between the two states, and Groves is right there on the river. Yeah. Um, so it's a big, um, it's a big refinery area. Okay. So there's lots of oil refineries, chemical plants. Yeah. That's why a lot of us who grew up there have cancer because <laughs> we were exposed <laughs> to all these nasty chemicals. <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah. I remember. I remember going there as a as a little kid, but didn't have a good reference to where I was at in. In the world, right? But I do remember that it was an issue when when we get big storms because you're closer. Where San Antonio wasn't, they would get the aftermath of right of storms. It'd be rainier for a week or two, but people weren't worried about their houses being blown away. That's but, true. That's but, uh, true. But well, over over we, in that area, because your mom lived there most of her all of her, her life. Of yeah. Life. In fact, her family moved from Louisiana to Texas in 1840. Wow. And they had lived in the same Beaumont, Port Arthur, Golden Triangle area for all that time. Wow. In fact, my brother and sister and I and our cousins at at our level were the first ones to move out of the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. <laughs> uh, lots of deep roots. <laughs> yeah. That had, that had, every, had to have everybody a little concerned. Yeah. Everybody's supposed to stay here. Yes, yes. They disown you if you move out of the state. You're not considered a Texan anymore. It's the... it, it really, it, that's one thing I when we moved out that I really noticed that the esprit de corps of Texas is like nowhere else in the in the United States anyway. Um, it, it's really its own. It's true. Its own thing. You're, you're, you're Texan. You're, you're, yes. You kind of have that pride like, like we do in the American flag on the Texas flag. You know, it's like. Yes. We're Texas. Yeah. And I'm like, I expected Washington to be that way. And it's like, no, we're Washington. We got a green flag with a president <laughs> that was never here on our flag. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. Kind of. It's um, different. Yeah. yeah. So I left Texas when I was 19. Well, actually, no, that's not. I left Southeast Texas when I was 19, when I joined the Air Force. And I wanted to travel and see the world. Oh, okay. Uh, so they transferred me to north texas <laughs> which is another world yeah. in some books but so that was that was kind of a disappointment but then i met your dad and you know 50 years later here we are so i guess it was meant to be yeah so so you you joined the air force just to get out just to yes. get away yes just to escape yeah yeah i was i was going to college i had I changed my major about five times in yeah. six months and had no clue what I wanted to do. And you did beauty school for a while, right? I did that during high school and got a job as a as a hairstylist, and that was how I was paying for my college tuition and my books. 
because I was going to a local tech college. Yeah. Um, and my dad and I were having some issues right. with each other. He he thought I was way too wild, and right. I thought I wasn't nearly wild enough. <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty conservative family. Yes, yes. My mother was very, very religious, and my dad was a religious convert late in life. Okay. And so very enthusiastically religious. Yeah, I remember. Um, and, and I was not. And yeah. so we, we often butted heads. Yeah. So I said, you know, I think it's time for me to go on my own. Yeah. But I didn't have any skills right. other than being a beautician, which didn't pay squat. Right. So I happened to be home one day, and I got a postcard from the local Air Force recruiter saying she was going to be in town. It was a, a woman who specifically recruited women okay. into the Air Force. And would I like to come down and talk to her? I said, sure, what can it hurt? Yeah. She told me, she said, well, the first base you go to will be North Texas for training. And she said, there's 10,000 men and 500 women on base. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I like me those odds. That's, That's pretty good. Odds, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> and it was a job, and it you know, paid better than being a, a hairstylist. Well, so. Guaranteed food and yeah, housing. Yeah. yeah. So I said, what the heck? Yeah, I'll do it. Nice. I went home and told Mom and Dad, I said, I'm January 31st, I'm joining the Air Force, and I'm going to basic in San Antonio and then see what happens from there. Wow. And I had a I had a guaranteed assignment uh, to computers. Okay. So, because I didn't want to be other stuff. Right. I, I, I just wanted to deal with technology. So. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering, I was wondering if you, you know, had started out, I knew, you know, later you were in computers, but I didn't know if you'd started out that yep, way. Yep, so. from the beginning. In fact, they recruited me straight out of tech school to stay and write training materials. Wow. And I even starred in training videos. Really? Yeah, teaching people how to splice tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real zinger of a video, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, so, yep, probably most of the people listening are like, <laughs> yeah like like real to real yeah tapes, back basically. in this was in the olden days when computers took up entire rooms yeah. in a building and had their own ac systems and um you had to wear booties over your shoes and hair nets on your head and um it was a whole different world there was there was no personal computing <laughs> none of that this yeah. was yeah this there was, was no the, laptop the laptop no, was not uh, even a thing no not for another oh 10 15 years at yeah. least. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. So how long were you in? For? I was in eight years. Okay. Um, when when your dad and I originally got together, the, the idea was that we would both stay for 20 and retire. And with that pension, we could live comfortably and not have to ever work again after age 49, which sounded pretty appealing. Yeah. Uh, but then the air, I wanted to go back to school. I didn't want to be enlisted all my life. And... Um, the only thing the Air Force would pay for uh, under the Airman uh, Commissioning Program was for me to be a um, computer officer, okay. a data processing officer. And by that point, I was so bored with <laughs> tech. It was just not my thing. I said, no, I don't, I don't think that works. So I decided to get out. Right. Um, and we moved Let's see, that was 78. So we moved with D.C. Your dad got stationed at the Pentagon, mm -hmm. and I got admitted to George Washington University wow. to finish my undergraduate degree. 
I had been taking courses all along, um, you know, here and there. Right. But I needed about two and a half years to finish up my degree. And luckily, once you get stationed at the Pentagon, you mm -hmm. don't ever leave. Okay. So I didn't have to worry about my college or, or later law school being interrupted because right. I knew as long as your dad was willing to, he would be still stationed at the Pentagon. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got out and went back to school. And after I graduated in 80 with my undergraduate degree, then I went to um, law school at George Washington University. Wow. And then I practiced law from 83 to 96. Cool. Almost 97. So so was it right out of law school that you went to Hawaii? Or did um, you work somewhere else yes. before that? No, it was right. In fact, I had summer clerked in Hawaii the summer between my second and third year of law school and then got a job offer from that same firm to come to Hawaii. Um, your dad tried to get stationed back in Hawaii, but by that time he had already been stationed in Hawaii three times, two right. times, and they, they therefore said, "No, you're you're not due for that assignment. <laughs> you have to stay at the Pentagon." And he says, "Fine, I'm gonna put in my retirement papers." Right. And they said, "No, no, don't do that." And he says, ah, "Too late. Already yeah. put them in." So, <laughs> so he, but he had ten months after I got out of law school, before he could retire. Right. So he stayed in D.C., and I went to Hawaii, and my mom came over and um, took care of Chris for me while okay. I was studying for the bar and then working. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I remember, I remember moving back to Hawaii and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And, and then you came over, you were eight, I think, when Chris was born. Yeah. And you came over with mom. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, I think she flew over with you. She flew over with you? I can't remember. I know she was there at the same time. I have yeah. photographic evidence yeah. that you and she were there together. All, all those summers for me kind of blur together. I, you know, I'll see pictures of uh, uh, us in Berkebridge Park mm -hmm. and I'm like little flashbacks, but I couldn't tell you, you know, looking at which, which, you know, which summer or whatever that was. But, yeah. But, but Chris was there on some of those. And, mm hmm. And, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, it was pretty great for me when you guys lived in Hawaii. It yeah, was, it was pretty nice. Nice, not a bad place to spend your your summer vacation. That's right. Going, going yeah. to Hawaii, you so. would be super tanned by the end of your visit. Yeah. <laughs> Send you home. <laughs> I heard across a couple of those pictures, and yeah, I could I could almost pass for a local by the, yep. by the time I would leave. The uh, the long hair and the yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just as dark as could be. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild over there. So, but uh, and I remember I remember being in in D.C. when you were going to school, right? Because you would ride a motorcycle to school. I did for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah I well, I started out riding a bicycle, right? But I was riding through the projects of D.C. and guys would jump off the sidewalk and jump in front of me and try to grab me, and yeah. it was not safe. So I told Paul, I said, I need the ability to get out of their way. Yeah. So we bought a little Honda automatic bike and uh, I rode it for um, six, eight months, I guess. And then I was, I was standing on a street corner and I watched a guy on a motorcycle run into a car, yeah. flip over on the trunk of the car and then flip again and land on his stomach right in front of me in the road. And <laughs> 
I called your dad. I said, "Come get this bike. I'm not riding it anymore. <laughs> I'm was, done." That was pretty. That was the end, right? Yeah, yep. I remember right. You, you I get back never on got again. on it again. I said, "I'm. I am done. That's too dangerous. I don't. I've got a child. I cannot be taking <laughs> risks with my life like that." <laughs> like an awakening, all of a sudden, like, "Oh my gosh, this thing's dangerous." Yes. Yeah. It was quite. <laughs> well, and even you know, even then, DCU's has always been. A big city. I mean, right. it's it's uh, massive. Tra- some of the some of the biggest traffic in the nation is yes is in that Beltway area. Oh, your dad tells the story about he, he was going to work one day. It was um, I don't remember if it was wintertime and snowy or if it was bad weather or what, but it, he had left the house at like seven o'clock in the morning, and by noon he was only uh, about halfway to work. And he finally called the office and said, "I'm turning around, and going back home. I can't, no. I can't deal with the traffic. It'll be closing time by the time I yeah. get in." Yeah, it was awful traffic. Yeah, that's it's just, uh, yeah, the the Washington D.C. area. It's a neat place to visit, but kind of a tough place to, to plus, yeah. tough place to live. Yeah, um, I know, I know. There's a couple of when we when we came out after we got married, it was kind of like. Okay, so you're going to drive around. Um, here's some things you don't do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't be gawking at the car next to you. <laughs> you might get shot. And <laughs> Yeah. Long before it was trendy in other areas, yeah. shooting at people in their cars was big yeah. in D.C. You, you don't want to, you just, you know, pay attention to yourself. Don't, you know, it's not a time to be social with. Right. Other, you know, low key. Yeah, it was. And we were always fine. But, but, uh. But still, it is a big city, especially compared to Bothell, Washington. Right. Well, and what was it? You and Jenny were out, and you were going out to eat, and your dad said you could take the Corvette. Right. And you were like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) That was, that. first of all, first of all, you had to get the Corvette out of the driveway. Right. They have... They had the scariest driveway known to man. <laughs> yeah, I swear that thing was at about a 45-degree incline. It was. And so when you drove up the driveway, you couldn't see the house in the car, especially in the Corvette. All you saw was sky. You, you could see above the house. as you And then at the last second, you would peek the hill, the front of the car would drop, and then you'd be in front of the, the garage door. And you had about a car length from that point to be in the garage. You yep. Were, you had to aim. And, and that was by design. Yeah. Your dad had told the builders, I must have a flat space that all of my cars can fit on so I can wash them without sliding down that stupid hill. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something. And then going out, it was like it was like jumping out of an airplane. Because yeah. you, you would back out and all you could see were the I don't remember what you could see, the sky or the yeah. trees across the, the way. It was scary. And, and you just like Okay, and the back of the car would drop off. <laughs> yeah, you'd roll down to the street. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, driving the Corvette up that driveway. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we had a lot of people who once would drive up the driveway, and the next time they came to our house, they would park down on the road and walk. Up. <laughs> he said, "I'm not driving up that again. That's too scary." Yeah, because it was. It was probably. 15, 20 feet of elevation. Yeah, you know, it's a good more than a more than a story. Right, so you're hiking up about a two sto- two story. Um, but before we built the stairs in the wintertime, when I had to go to work, we'd park our cars down at the bottom because we knew we wouldn't be able to drive. Because if 
if you lost it going mm. down, there was a big drainage ditch across the road from you. So we would park our cars at the bottom, and I had a great big piece of cardboard. And I'd sit on it at the top of the driveway and slide down to the bottom <laughs> to get to my car to drive to work. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so then your your Uncle Steve came and visited, and he built, he and di- your dad built the stairs. Right. So I didn't have to slide down the driveway on cardboard anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, the clients at work would probably love to see that's our attorney sliding down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was never there in the winter. Well, I guess we were for the for one the first Christmas we were there. But yeah. I, I don't yeah. think it snowed. But... No, probably not. Yeah. It's, the worst snows in Northern Virginia and D.C. were usually in in late January and February. Yeah. Yeah. President's Day weekend was famous for blizzards. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, so you became an attorney and and. Uh, did did that stuff and you had a pretty pretty cush jo- or not cush but pretty important job you were doing uh, work oil, for the oil companies right? oil so spill on a, response on the oil spill yeah so not not the not the the crazy you know tear up the world to save the world side of right. that um, where you were you did all the contracts for if, if there was an oil spill like a like right. a Valdez this was right this was in response to the Valdez right. that oil companies had to have spill response plans in place for everywhere they went. And so for every harbor they went into, there had to be assets there to respond to a spill. Well, no no one oil company wanted to do that for every place they transported oil. So they formed a Marine Spill Response Corporation as a nonprofit oil spill response. And then they formed another um, nonprofit as a funding vehicle. So the oil companies paid money into that and that entity paid money into MSRC. So they were able to put the money into that and not have to pay taxes on Well they that didn't want they didn't want liability coming back right. to them. They wanted a wall between right. them and our response to any particular spill. Because Exxon didn't want to get liability yeah. for um Phillips spill. Right. Okay, um, that makes sense. And so when I got there, there were seven lawyers, and we had, was in 1990, and we had a little less than three years to spend $900 million developing spill response assets around all of the coasts of the United States. Wow. So we had 16 oil spill response ships built. We had to negotiate facility leases. We had to do construction for um, our spill response um, headquarters and then for each of our sites. And then we also had some unmanned sites where we just stored equipment. It was it was a big deal. I, yeah. mean, you know, I traveled all over the country. I worked closely with the, the um, contracting team. They would they would tell me what they wanted to have happen in the contract, and I would review the, the documents to make sure it did what they wanted it to do. Right. Um, it was it was very intense, yeah. very, very busy time. And you had to be ready to go on a moment's notice. Well, right? at that point, we still weren't operational. Oh, okay. uh, we were still in training okay. and, and developing mode. But in uh, 1993, we went operational. And at that point, yeah, we had to be ready. So I carried a cell phone. Now, you have to remember, this is 93. So this cell phone is like 
oh, eight, ten inches yeah. long and, and and not very reliable. <laughs> well, and you couldn't and you couldn't fly. You couldn't be. You weren't supposed to be in the air for more than like three or four hours or something. Right. You need to be able to get off that plane and jump on another plane to get to to get somewhere else. If, yeah. It wasn't so much a problem when we still had seven lawyers. Yeah. But then as soon as we had ramped up and had the capability, the oil companies decided we yeah. needed to be much skinnier. Yeah. And so we went from seven lawyers to me. <laughs> yeah. And and the budget for legal work went from, I think it was originally a couple of million dollars a year, and I had a budget of maybe a million. Yeah. And I had insurance safety, training, and legal all had to come out of that million-dollar budget. So, yeah, I I lasted a year, and I told him, I said, ah, I'm, I'm going to give you one more year, and yeah. I'm going to go find and train my replacement, and then I'm going to be out of here. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. And, and the guy I trained was a guy I had worked with at the law firm in Hawaii oh. that I knew, and He's still there. He's he still the vice president general counsel. This has been since nice. 96. Yeah, nice. I'm very proud of him. He he worked out really well. <laughs> and I was much happier after I quit practicing law. Yeah. Was, yeah. It, it, I had not a lot of, you know, attorney experience before you became an attorney. But it, it was interesting once you became an attorney how many attorneys don't stay attorneys for real long. Yes. I don't know what the longevity is of It, it has of a choice. high burnout rate, yeah. especially law firm practice, because, yeah. you know, you're working. We were expected to bill 2,500 to 3,000 hours a month. Wow. I mean, that's 65, 70-hour weeks. Yeah. Um, and and constant. Yeah. You know? And we would go on vacation. I'd, I'd take a laptop with me and a cell phone, and I would work half a day. Yeah. And then we'd pick up our vacation at noon and go do fun stuff so it was very intense yeah yeah that's crazy yeah so yeah i i've always been patty's always had so many different uh positions and and jobs (laughs) since i've you know to go from being an airman to lost you know to being a student and a lawyer and then and then you've you've done multiple things uh, since, since then, then. You, yeah. didn't, you didn't just leave law and, re- you know, no. sit back in the easy chair. You, I, I became a, a ward clerk at the hospital in Texas. I did that for a little over a year. Right. Then when we moved up to Washington, um, I didn't have enough experience to get hired in any of the hospitals out here. And I had found it way too stressful. So mm-hmm. I started looking around and, and I got a job in um, state government with the Department of Retirement Systems doing public disclosure work. Mm. Uh, That was just when this whole public disclosure phenomenon was starting out. So I got kind of in on the ground floor on that and then transferred over to Department of Corrections Mm -hmm. uh, and did the same thing there for several years. And when I had enough time in that I could qualify for a state pension, right. I left. <laughs> get, get the heck out of there. It was, getting, it was getting very intense. At one point, I had a photograph of an inmate that I gave your dad to put by the front door to be sure he didn't open the door if this guy came around because yeah. the guy was mad 
because I uh, I didn't give him the documents he wanted. Right. So, so I said, you know, that's in interfering with the quality of my life. I think I need to move on. Well, and you had to you had to deal with some pretty some pretty reprehensible uh, materials from what I what I, I had yes. gleaned from sources. We don't probably need to get into that, but yeah, it uh, it was not a not good. Yeah. Mentally for anybody. No. Reading yeah. all about sex offender, all the yeah. evidence against them. And, oh, it's just disgusting. Yeah. yeah it was. Yeah. But you, so you, but you, you moved, so you retired from D.C. and you moved back to Texas. Right. right. So you moved from Fredericksburg, Virginia. To Fredericksburg, Texas. Fredericksburg, Texas. Yeah. I know. Everybody gives <laughs> us a bad time about that. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> We just fell in love with Fredericksburg. We have a yeah. we have an affinity for uh, tourist towns. Yeah. I don't know why, because we also complain loudly about them, <laughs> but they just have a lot of neat things yeah. that they offer. And so Fredericksburg, Texas, uh, was at that time it was a small town. It was only about sixteen thousand population. Right. Uh, we were able to buy a, a small house for. I think we paid seventy five, eighty thousand dollars for nice. that house, and um, lived quite comfortably. Yeah. You know, um, I was working retail, minimum wage, selling uh, wild seed right. at the wild seed farm, and your dad was working at the publishing company, the okay. office supply and publishing oh, that's right. company. Yeah, the supply, that yeah. was his first job. Um, then I quit at the at the uh, wild seed farm and got a a job working in the one and only fabric store in Fredericksburg, which, you know, I have a love for fabric. Right. And your dad um, quit the office supply and became the general manager for the local Ace Hardware. Um, And so we were not, we were not packing in the big bucks for (laughs) sure. (laughs) But we were very comfortable and we were very happy. Yeah. Uh, It was very low key life. Um, not a lot of stress, yeah. um, and then your dad hurt his back, and and everything changed. Yeah. And then nine eleven happened, and everything changed some more. So, yeah. um, it it he, your dad almost died when he had the the clots in his lungs. Yeah, and that was very very scary. And we had always talked that we were going to move back to Washington at some point. So when he and when he got out of the hospital the last time, I said that. That's it. We're moving. Yeah. So start planning because <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to put it off because you don't know how long you have on this earth. And no. if you're something you really want to do, you better do it. Yeah. Um, so we moved up here and, and we have been extremely happy in, yeah. for the last 19 years. Hard to believe it's been yeah. 19 years. So down on the beach, down on yes. Long Beach, Washington. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and you're pretty involved with the... Uh, with the shelter here. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> the understatement of the year right yeah. there. Yeah, your dad says I'm held hostage by the shelter. <laughs> yes, I, I've we've actively been involved with the shelter since we moved here. Yeah. Uh, we started out just going in a couple of days a week and cleaning the cat rooms to um, help keep labor costs down. And then they approached us at one point and said, we'd really like for you guys to come on the board. And we said, well, what does that mean? Oh, no, no biggie, you know, just, yeah. it's okay. So we went on the board. And then our um, our president uh, extended her presidency for two years beyond 
her minimum, her maximum tour, and nobody would step up to be president. And so after very, very loudly saying no, 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 no <laughs> for several years, I finally caved and uh, became the president. Right. But I keep telling him I'm a one-term president, so I have <laughs> I've just recently formed a committee, right. a recruiting committee, with some of my best people, right. and sent them out into the local community to find some people, some younger people, yeah. some people who aren't on their last legs, <laughs> who aren't ready to retire, retire, <laughs> who can keep this organization going. Yeah. Um, because it's, you know, we went through a really rough patch during COVID that, that the shelter needs $25,000 a month wow. to survive. And our funding dried up, our grants dried up, we weren't getting animals. We weren't having adoptions, and we were we were really struggling to make yeah. ends meet. We finally have turned that corner, and and we have positive cash flow again finally. But yeah. um, it has been a, a real battle yeah. keeping the organization alive. Um, and we're we're still a small community, and yeah. and we hit up people pretty regularly to give us money. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of deep pockets around here. I mean, there are there, there are, are people that are there willing, are but it's some. not like not like being in Redmond or yeah. Seattle or yeah. Olympia, even. You know, I mean, and people from those areas do come down and adopt from us because yeah. our adoption fees are so much less oh, yeah. than the adoption fees in the big city. Our paperwork and our screening process is more involved, <laughs> to put it mildly, but uh, but we're cheap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If. If you want to adopt an animal down here, you better you better bring your your uh, your paperwork and uh, yes, and, and have some good references because they don't give animals. Just, I don't think I qualify. <laughs> I don't think I qualify to get animals at the at the shelter down here. But uh, um, which is a good thing because if I if we did, we would probably have thirty of them. Yes. Every time Jenny comes well, down, they we, want all of them. We don't we don't foster dogs anymore because we we have a dog now as a result of our one and only dog foster, um, and we have a cat as a result of a cat foster, <laughs> and then another cat that we got to keep the first cat company because <laughs> he was turning into a dog because he was playing with honey too much. So we figured he needed a cat to show him how to be a cat. Yeah. Yeah, so we don't foster anymore. We leave that to other stronger people who can <laughs> resist the temptations. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and for reference, for people who are listening, they, if, if anybody does want to donate, you can donate on the website. And they have yes. You have auctions, online yes. auctions every year. Yes, and, just go to beachpets.com. Beachpets.com. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great organization. They do, they do great things. They bring animals up from from down south that mm. are that would uh if if they don't find a home they don't find someplace else than down there they're they'd be put down right i think they you right. get them from kill shelters yes we have a partnership with a couple of organizations down there that that routinely cruise the kill shelters and um save animals and then head up uh, I-5 North, and when they get to Oregon and, and Washington, they start dropping animals <laughs> off at the various no-kill shelters. <laughs> so, yeah, we and we get a lot of small dogs that way. Yeah. And there's a big demand on the peninsula for little dogs because we have a, an aging population. Our right. average age on the peninsula, at least 
10 years ago was 65. I think it's probably gotten lower now. We had a big influx of tech people working remotely during COVID. Yeah. Um, some of whom have now had to go back to work or at least part-time. Right. Um, but so the, the average age may have gone down some, uh, but we're still, we tend to be a fairly older population. So, right. Right. And, and we found most older people want smaller dogs. Makes sense. And our surrenders and the dogs we get as strays tend to be pit bulls, German shepherds, <laughs> Rottweilers. <laughs> Those dogs that uh, yeah. it's difficult to place in the best of times. Yeah. Um, we have we have a couple of pit bulls that we're working on finding homes for right now that right. Um, have been very difficult to place. Yeah. Uh, we try, but what are you going to do? You know, somebody yeah. abandons the animal, ties them up on a beach approach. Yeah. You can't leave them there. Off. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sad. The um, and you and you guys uh, have programs for for people that can't afford to help help them feed their their right. animals. And, we have a pet food uh, uh, bank that they can come six times a year and get food for all their animals. Nice. And we also have um, spay neuter voucher programs for both low income and for. Um, community cats, or what's what previously was called feral cats, but right. community cats is the <laughs> new accepted terminology. Don't want um, to offend the cats. That yeah, would be bad. Yeah, don't want to call them feral. <laughs> they get upset. Um, and in fact, right now we're struggling because we uh, we didn't get a grant this year to support our low income spay neuter program, oh, okay. and at the moment it's out of money. Oh, so wow. we're having to turn away people and tell oh. them we hope to have money. Sometime, but yeah. not yet. So it's the first time since we started the program that we've had to had to stop it. Is we can't we can't operate in the red. We've got to stay yeah. under budget, and we've spent our budget. So yeah. until we get more money, we can't be spay neutering animals. Yeah. So it's very painful. It's very hard for us um, oh, to say that. no. Um, and it's and some people in the community have reacted very negatively to being told no. <laughs> it's like you know this was a special program; it was yeah. funded, and now there's not funding, and we yeah. have to wait till we find funding again. So, some of the grantors have limited funds, yeah. Uh, and so we've had that money in the past, but now we are on a wait list because other people get a turn at that money. Right. before we get another turn at it. And mm -hmm. so in some cases, we have another 6 to 12 months before we can reapply for that yeah. money. So, yeah, it's kind of touch and go at the moment in terms of spay-neuters. But Well, it's, and it's, it's got to be tough to be kind of at the whim of everybody else because you've yes. you got your hand out, you <laughs> know. I mean, you're not, uh, you know, it's not like you can work harder and make a better product to make more money. I mean, right. you're... It is what it is. <laughs> there's, there's no profit in, in mm. adopting out animals. No, for the, sure. The way you the way you need to do it. You know, yeah. I'm sure if you're, you know. Yeah, we people, just, you know, I, Petco seems to do all right, but that's a different. That's I always different love it style. when people tell me, yeah, I got this this animal free on, on the internet. Yeah. And I go, yeah. Was was the animal spayed or neutered? Yeah. No. Okay, well, that's 150 to $250 right there. Had they had their vaccinations? Well, no. Okay, so rabies alone is like $45. Yeah. Plus, you've got the core vaccinations. you got fleas. you got worms. 
so yeah, that free kitten just yeah. ended up costing you five hundred dollars. We would have adopted him to you with all that stuff done for a hundred dollars. Yeah, all, all my kids have. Like you better put some money aside because animals are almost as expensive as kids. Yes, it's, it's insane, and it that's is. And that's without him doing anything crazy like going and drinking the water out of the pond and getting giardia. Or, right. <laughs> yes, or, we or, we or have following a pet toy that doesn't want to come out the other end. Or, yes, we uh, had we had one pit bull that kept eating his toys and ate a blanket, ate a bed. And, and every time, it would end up in an intestinal blockage, and he had to have surgery to remove the blockage. So, you know, no toys, no beds, no blankets. The poor baby. <laughs> just concrete floor for concrete. you. all you get. And then, you know, our Bugsy came to us because he was immune compromised. He had been at the vets for several weeks trying to recover from being very, very ill. He had grand mal seizures for three days right after he came to us, and We've spent the last year and a half getting his gastrointestinal tract lined up where it's halfway functioning yeah. correctly. So every time he, he has to go to the vet, it's 100 bucks. I don't care what it is. We walk in the door, 100 bucks. Oh, my gosh. It's... I mean, luckily, we, we have the funds to, to have that animal, and right. that's why we adopted him and rather than let him go back to the shelter because we knew— he you was going to be an expensive cat. You knew going in that that was it was going to cost you. Yeah. Well, that's that's a plus, but yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Bugsy's I've been doing a couple little projects around here. Bugsy's been, <laughs> but my direct supervisor just every time I turn around, he's got an eye on me. And was laying on some of the tools. Yeah. Is the first thing this Hiding morning. Hiding my tools from me, and uh, and no fear in that cat. I, nail guns and everything around. He's just watching, make sure I'm doing a good job. So Betty, on the other hand, spent the last two days under the bed. <laughs> I saw, I saw, all I saw of Betty was a streak about four feet long because when I got to the door the first time, choo, yes, <laughs> I could just see the like flash going across the living room. I'm like, well, that was the last I haven't seen her since. Yep, so. <laughs> yep, she's been under the bed. Last night, Paul had. Come on, Betty. Come on out. It's okay. He's, He's gone. gone. He's not coming back. <laughs> yeah, I, I sleep out in the in the trailer. I have a trailer, and I bring my house with me. So yeah, give the, give the animals a little bit of break. And and honey, no matter what, every morning come in, I get, <laughs> I get barked and growled at, like like I'm the the intruder from the west there. The uh, coming in so yeah it's it's funny <laughs> a, little, a little competition from the the furry kids i think a little sibling, sibling rivalry yes <laughs> well at least she doesn't bite no nope, she, she just bumps <laughs> she just bumps you with her nose yeah i had i was working on the front door which was right by the food yesterday and she she was not very happy i turned around and she bumping me in my calves and i <laughs> down on my knees with my back to her and she push it on my feet oh <laughs> like Bless her heart. <laughs> well, I I see Dad's back with with more oh, caulking, so well, got to get back uh, to work. I get better with sitting around. But thank you very much for joining us. Oh, and, it was fun. And, uh, and that website again, beachpets.com. Beachpets.com. Yeah. One more plug for the. For the thank you. The deal and uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Thank really you. Appreciate it, and we'll and uh, we'll add this to the deal. Yeah. Talk to you later. Bye.